Hey friends, I'm Jeremy Hearn and welcome to the Saint Friends Podcast, a podcast for Catholics, non-Catholics, and really anyone interested in learning about the lives of some ordinary people who lived extraordinary lives and answered God's call to holiness. In today's episode, we'll be returning to the embrace of our original Saint Friend, the Blessed Virgin Mary. In real time, this episode is coming out on the solemn feast of the Assumption of Mary, so let's jump in and see why the Mother of God is the only person this side of the eschaton to have their whole body and soul raised to new life in heaven, well, sort of, apart from Jesus himself. It's our special episode about the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Mary. It's always comforting to have a saint friend return over and over to the podcast, and today we're talking about the death and resurrection of Mary's body to everlasting life. This Feast of the Assumption is one of the oldest holy days in the church and goes back to at least the 6th century, though many early Christians believed in the idea of the Assumption long before that. The Eastern Lung of the Church often refers to this feast as the Dormition of the Theotokos, or the falling asleep of the Mother of God. So what is the Assumption of Mary? I think it's safe to say that most Christians know the story of Jesus' ascension into heaven after the resurrection, when all the apostles are standing around looking up the sky and the two angels are like, guys, seriously. Unlike Jesus, who rose to heaven through his own power, Mary, having completed her earthly life, meaning died, was taken up, body and soul, to heaven. And this is what we call the Assumption, because she was assumed into heaven not because we're making a shaky guess. This isn't the only time something like this has happened, though. In chapter 5 of the book of Genesis, we read about Enoch, the great-great-great-great-grandson of Adam, who, quote, walked with God, and he was no longer there, for God took him, end quote. While that could simply mean he died, all the other genealogical accounts around Enoch's entry simply state that they died, but Enoch was taken by God. Similarly, in the second book of Kings, we hear about the end of the life of our old saint friend Elijah, who was walking with Elisha when, quote, a fiery chariot and fiery horses came between the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind, and Elisha saw it happen. Elisha cried out, then he saw Elijah no longer, end quote. This isn't just a translation issue for Enoch and Elijah, since Hebrew and Greek translations both use the words Shamayim and Uranos, respectively, which are just the plain and simple words for heaven. Unlike Jesus, Enoch, Elijah, and Mary were all taken by God to heaven through his power, not any that they had. What's great about Mary specifically is that she, as the best representation of ourselves, the perfect redeemed version of humanity, was taken by God into heaven. And if it's the will of God that Mary, our own mother in Christ, be in heaven, it's pretty safe to assume, if you'll pardon the pun here, that God also wants us, his children on earth, to be with him there as well. That's the promise of redemption made to Mary and carried out by her son, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ. And hey, Even if there are questions about whether heaven would be open to Enoch and Elijah before the death of Christ, God can do whatever he wants to because he's, well, God. 
The earliest account of the belief that Mary's body was taken to heaven dates from the 4th century, a document called The Falling Asleep of the Holy Mother of God. It's written using the voice of our old friend St. John the Apostle, though whether he actually wrote it is up for debate. This writing tells the story of the death, laying in the tomb, and assumption of Mary, and places her death, depending on which version you read, at either Jerusalem or Ephesus, where John was living. Another important note about why God, in all three persons, would want to bring Mary fully to heaven actually goes back to another episode we did about Mary as the Ark of the New Covenant. In the second book of Samuel, we hear the story about how King David, the anointed king of the Israelites, brought the original Ark, the gold Indiana Jonesy one, into Jerusalem. So it follows that Jesus, the descendant of the line of David, and the new king, not only of the Israelites, but of heaven and earth, would want to bring the new Ark, Mary, into the new Jerusalem, aka the city of God, aka heaven. So the church just kind of continued with the belief in the assumption of Mary, even though it was never added officially to the beliefs of the church. On November 1st of 1950, the Venerable Pope Pius XII, in his apostolic constitution, Munificentissimus Deus, meaning the most bountiful God, declared the assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary as an official dogma of the Catholic Church. When Pius XII went about making this declaration, he did so in a way that had only ever been used once before. In 1854, when the blessed Pope Pius IX declared in Ineffabilis Deus that Mary was conceived without the stain of original sin, a doctrine most people know today of as the Immaculate Conception. Both of these are two of the three times that ever in the history of the Church a Pope has spoken ex cathedra, meaning with infallibility. Though Pius XII didn't offer a specific biblical text to prove the assumption, one of his senior advisors has said that they looked to several passages, such as Psalm 132 and chapter 1 of Luke's Gospel. Additionally, they took Revelation chapter 11 verse 19 through chapter 12 verse 2 as the primary biblical proof, if you will. It reads, quote, Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of his covenant could be seen in the temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder, an earthquake and a violent hailstorm. A great sign appeared in the sky, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was with child. End quote. So I think to close this all out, we should just hear what Pope Pius XII had to say when he declared what everyone already believed to be true. Quote, After we have poured forth prayers of supplication again and again to God, and have invoked the light of the Spirit of Truth, for the glory of Almighty God, who has lavished his special affection upon the Virgin Mary, for the honor of her Son, the immortal King of the ages, and the victor over sin and death, for the increase of the glory of that same august Mother, and for the joy and exaltation of the entire Church, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, of the blessed Apostles Peter and Paul, and by our own authority, we pronounce, declare, and define it to be a divinely revealed dogma, that the Immaculate Mother of God, the Ever-Virgin Mary, having completed the course of her earthly life, was assumed body and soul into heavenly glory. End quote. Thanks for hanging out today with me and our longtime friend, the Blessed Virgin Mary. Reach out to us anytime by email at saintfriendspodcast at gmail.com or on Instagram at saintfriendspod. As always, you can find me and more Saint Friends at our website, saintfriends.com. 
As we wrap up this episode, we ask for the prayers of our saint friend. Mary, through her Magnificat, teaches us how to praise and glorify God. It's an innovation through which Mary asks us to go beyond our usual way of magnifying problems in our lives and instead look through the lens with which she looked, that our hearts are greater than our sins. Even then, if our hearts condemn us, God is still greater than that. This isn't to say there are no problems in life. Mary's example and prayer for us is to appreciate what's beautiful and good and know how to thank God for it. We say together, Blessed Virgin Mary, pray for us.